This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast could be sponsored by you, yes, you, the listener, through the podcast Patreon page that you can find by clicking the link in this episode's description. However, if supporting the podcast financially is not a possibility, that's totally fine too, especially if you are an Apple podcast or iTunes listener, because you can leave the show a rating and a review. It's important with the way iTunes works, helps other people find the show and helps the show continue to grow. So please leave a rating and review. Um, There's another option by Stitcher, which also allows you to do that. And uh, don't forget there are other ways of listening to the show. If you're not an Apple podcast or iTunes listener, by heading on over to Google Play, Uh, Like I said, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, and wherever else you get your podcasts, the Chase Thomas Podcast will be there. And lastly, I highly encourage you to check out my website at chasethomaspodcast.com to read me at Medium uh, and to follow me on Twitter at Chase underscore Thomas and to go to the Facebook page at facebook.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. Hopefully you're still with me because this is the end of me rambling. All right, let's go. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, Yovan Bua of ESPN is on the line right now. Yovan, you were really busy over the All Star break. Tell the listeners about the copious amount of activities that you were involved in because I follow you on Instagram and honestly. I was starting to sweat a little bit just going through everything that you were involved with. And you were sweating, too, because you were doing in some basketball games, too. <laughs> yeah, man, it, it was a crazy weekend. Um, first off, thanks for having me on, uh, per usual. But, yeah, so that Thursday, the Thursday before All-Star Weekend, um, I had uh, two interviews set up with Zach Levine and Migos uh, via finish line. So... <laughs> I got to go on the commercial set that they were shooting on and interview Zach. And then later I got to go to Capitol Records, interview Migos in their green room. Um, uh, I'll leave it at, it was a pretty green room. Uh, I'll I'll let the listeners kind of figure that out. Um, And then watch them perform, uh, which was pretty cool. Then that that was Thursday, Friday, uh, some sneaker events with Jordan and Adidas. Then uh, was the Rising Stars game. Uh, Saturday, some more sneaker stuff with Adidas. Uh, I played in a Foot Locker, like House of Hoops uh, and Nike basketball media and influencer game. Um, I'm not an influencer, so I, I fell on the media part, but there's a lot of like YouTubers and Instagrammers there. So it was cool. We played in the middle of the Hollywood and Highland mall for, uh, those who know, which is a big outdoor mall in the middle of Hollywood. Um, so that I wasn't really expecting that. I thought it was going to be a smaller thing. And then I kind of got there at like 10 AM, which is already early for me. 
And they're like, yeah, we're, we're, we're playing outdoors in front of like a bunch of people. And I was like, awesome. Um, but, but thankfully I played well. So I was happy about that. Then later Saturday, obviously all the all-star Saturday night stuff. Uh, and then Sunday we had a ESPN brunch and then, um, the all-star game. So, uh, it was a hectic four days for me. I, you know, did not get that much sleep. Uh, and, but you know, I, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Like that was, that's like the peak of the season for me. So, um, I'm like just getting back to reality right now. How many shoes did you get from the weekend? Uh, total, uh, yes, <laughs> I, I got six pairs total and, uh, four were gifted. Nice. So it was, okay. uh, it was a nice, it was a very nice weekend. Cool. Um, what were, like you said, you interviewed Zach Levine and, uh, Migos. What were some interesting things you pulled from that? Uh, Zach, you know, Zach, Zach is awesome. Uh, he, he was a great interview. Uh, I thought one of the more interesting things that he said was that he kind of puts the all-star game kind of malaise on the players. And, you know, I, I thought that was interesting to hear that just because from what I've seen, like a lot of players kind of deflect it and put it on other stuff, but he was just kind of taking accountability uh, even though he hasn't been an all-star yet, um, just kind of saying like, you know, players need to step up and, and actually take it more seriously. And, um, you know, it's really on the players to make it a more competitive thing, which I think ended up happening to, to some extent, uh, this all-star game. Uh, so I thought that was interesting. I thought uh, we talked a bit about Seattle hoops and, and, you know, he was kind of talking about that. There is a certain type of player that comes from Seattle. That is that flashy ball handler scorer, you know, him, Isaiah Thomas, Nate Robinson, uh, Jamal, Jamal Crawford. Crawford. Like there's, yeah. there's, yeah, there's, huh. there's multiple guys like that. And he was just saying, you know, that's kind of the culture out there. Um, and he was also, we talked a little about, about the Bulls and he, he downplayed some of the chemistry issues earlier in the season with the whole Miritich Portis thing. Uh, and, and said like it, that that whole controversy and, and sort of all the, the drama with the Bulls earlier in the season was, was more manufactured by the media and, and inside the locker room. It wasn't as bad as, as it was being made out to be. So obviously that could just be lip service, but I thought that was cool. Then Migos. Um, so <laughs> Migos, it, it was like the best worst interview of my life. Um, <laughs> they, you know, they have a reputation for not always being the best interviewees and not taking questions very seriously so i definitely experienced some of that uh some of the stuff uh i asked them that they gave me some some solid answers some of the stuff it was just like i have no idea what you guys are saying like that response <laughs> isn't even logical but you know it, it was i kind of knew what i was what i was getting myself into when i you know agreed to do it so uh it, it, was, it was a fun experience um got an instagram picture out of it so that that's all that really matters these days that's true so one thing on Zach Levine, I when you talk about the malaise and putting on the players and everything else, I, I do kind of feel bad for him because he's one of those guys, and I've watched a lot of the Bulls since he's been back, and he is such a fluid scorer that it really is amazing to watch when he's like the number one option on a bad team because mm -hmm. everything runs through him and his usage is still nuts, but he's able to get these shots off his back foot, and it just looks easy, and he just... He's so good in today's NBA shooting from beyond the arc and everything else. But with 
be with uh guys like LeBron and Steph being able to pick their own teams. I don't see a, like getting rid of the East versus West All Star game like directly impacts guys like him. Where if LeBron goes West this summer, it's like where does Zach Levine go in the hierarchy in the Eastern Conference among like exciting All Star players? And I think he would get in at least a couple times. But now it's I wonder if he ever gets an All Star appearance but he's flirting with it he's he's fun i don't know where he is i've always been kind of shaky on zach levine but he has been fun and he does seem like a genuinely fun dude to talk to and um does he miss did you ask him about the dunk contest did he miss not partaking or anything like that yeah i I tried getting him to to go on record about if he'd ever do it again and he said it really just kind of depends on you know how, how he how he recovers and like one, once he's fully recovered, cause I, you know, he's not fully recovered yet. Um, and just kind of how he feels and like, he's not ruling it out, but, but you know, he's, he's going to kind of take it season by season, depending on just how he feels. So, uh, I think I could tell like he, he, he did miss it a little bit. I think especially cause it was in LA and that's just like a, a bigger stage and imagine throwing, you know, with, with seeing him already be in the dunk contest, like throwing him into this LA one, I think would have, made things a lot more interesting. I think if it ended up being like him versus Donovan Mitchell, that would have been a better finale. Um, so just taking yeah. Victor Oladipo out for him because Victor Oladipo does not need to be any more dunk contests. Yeah. Yeah. The the dunk contest was, it was like, you could make a case that the person with the lowest score had the best dunk, which, which would be Dennis Smith jr. Um, okay. I, I thought that dunk was amazing, but yeah, like he, uh, yeah. So I, I think Zach, it wouldn't surprise me if he did it again. But also, I think he really has nothing to prove, and and for him, it seems like he's more focused on becoming an eventual all star, as you were just saying. And I think he might be better fit in the three point contest now. Like that should be like his next goal is to win the three point contest because he's uh, he he can get there. He has a lot of like where Devin Booker his release is just so clean and so quick and crisp. Zach Levine has a lot of that too. I I think um, he's probably a better player right now, but I could see Zach Levine getting in a three-point contest in the next couple of years. Yeah, no, definitely. All right. Um, And last thing before we get into some other stuff, how is the Ball family? Have you checked in on how Leandro and LaMelo are faring in Lithuania? Uh, A little bit. I've I've kept my distance. Um, I'm, I'm not... I'm personally just not that all interested in, in what's going on in Lithuania because I just think it's a very short term thing and it's kind of, it's, it's hard to glean much just because, you know, of this big baller showcase and them playing against like, you know, the, when they're playing against other 16 and 17 year olds, like, or, you know, 18 year olds, I think they're going to, they're going to look fine as they have, but it, it's really the, the better competition that, I guess they they played a little bit better lately, but overall it's like, I, I don't know. It's tough for me to kind of glean much from, from what's going on. Um, yeah. Now that Lonzo's back, you know, I'm, I think he'll be more accessible and, and, you know, on that end of things, I think I'll be more involved, but uh, I, I do think it's interesting that the ball phenomenon is kind of dying down a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's been a while since, like I started kind of feeling that in November and then obviously all the, you know, the, the Leangelo, the China thing happened with, with the shoplifting and then LeVar and Trump and then, you know, going to Lithuania, 
so there was like multiple events that kind of kept it going after it, it kind of quieted down a bit. But I think it's going to be interesting to see how, you know, for the rest of 2018, they kind of stay relevant. You know, I assume LeVar is going to act up once LiAngelo tries to enter the draft and he's going to come up with, you know, he's going to start bringing the, the threats back of like the Lakers don't sign him, you know, Lonzo's going to leave, whatever. Like I'll be interested to see how the rest of the 2018 plays out. Cause I think people are starting to get a little tired of the act. Um, and it, it's, it's tough for me to say that. Cause I think I'm one of the last ESPN people they'll actually talk to <laughs> after uh, he went at Jeff Goodman and Ramona a couple of weeks ago. But uh, yeah, it's like, I think it's, it's starting to get a little old for people. And there's, there's only so much you can talk about the same stuff. And like, you know, Lonzo's playing better, but you know, he's not the greatest player ever. Um, Lamelo, uh, I think will be fine, but you know it's still kind of early on him. And Leangelo is not an NBA player, so I just you know there, there's only so much we could talk about, and I think it's kind of getting to that point where something really crazy has to happen for for us to to get interested in them again. Yeah, and I think part of it too, like you said, he's been gone for so long that Lonzo just being back on the court and just them playing well without him, I don't know if that's played a role at all, but. It uh, it's gonna be interesting to see that he's back and see how they fare down the stretch because it's kind of amazing how forgettable of a rookie season the number one number two pick in the draft uh, this past year have had like we haven't even seen Fultz and Lonzo's missed a lot of time and uh, Jason Tatum has really uh, been great but it's been the Donovan Mitchell and Ben Simmons show but yeah top two picks in the last draft basically been ghosts for the majority of the season. Yeah, I I actually think uh, Lonzo has had a better season than people give him credit for. Um, Like, he definitely, you know, look, he he needs to fix his shot. Um, Whether that's simply improving, you know, just his accuracy with his current form or literally changing his form, which I think is ultimately what's going to have to happen for him to be successful. Like, you know, it's one thing to shoot that way if you're Kevin Martin you know, who was always flirting with like the 50, 40, 90 club. Um, yeah. It's another thing when you're Lonzo, you know, who's shooting under 40% and under 30% from three for most of the season. So like, he's going to have to figure that out, but you know, taking the shooting out of it, if you said he was basically going to be averaging like 11, seven and seven heading into the season, I would think that's a win. Like, you know, like, you know, he's not, he's not, a dominant score by any means, but he is averaging, you know, seven boards, seven assists. And I don't want to overplay that either, but it is impressive for frankly, any guard to average those numbers. Like those, you know, the only guys kind of better that's like Westbrook Harden territory. Um, like that to me is impressive. And I think he's been solid defensively. Like he's shown potential to switch between the one and the two defensively. Um, so I, I like what I've seen from him. Uh, now you can definitely make the case like he, you know, if you did a redraft, he probably wouldn't go number two. I think that is, you know, totally reasonable, but, um, I, I wouldn't say in my opinion that he's had like a completely forgettable season. I, I still think he, you know, he definitely, in my opinion, should make one of the two rookie teams. And, um, uh, you know, I, I think people are kind of overlooking his season. I guess it's just more of like, I think his most memorable moment was, was it his second game of his 
career where he went off? Was that yeah that that Phoenix, that Phoenix game? Yeah, that's what I remember more than anything else. And I guess that's part of it is like my most um, obvious memory of him this year has just been something that happened in the first couple of games of the season. But I mean, he still is a plus three point two per hundred possessions on off rating, and I think. Uh, Jonathan Charks had a good piece on the Lakers uh, trajectory, especially with Lonzo and uh, the two looming max contract slots and how that would affect Kuzma, Ingram, Randall, Lonzo. But like, uh, I think at the very least, Lonzo looks like someone who's going to be an above average role player. And that's not a negative. And I think some people will look at it as a negative because he was number two in the draft. But I think at the very least, he's going to be a really, really solid starter on a contending team he just he plays in a fun way and you can see how it works but yeah enough Lonzo we'll see I'm excited to see him back yeah and 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 that's the other thing like the you know he's been out now he was out almost six weeks but before he went out he was actually shooting a lot better and I think he was shooting like close to 40 percent from three I think averaging around like 15 along with his normal, like, you know, six, seven and six, seven. So um, I think it's going to be interesting to see how, you know, if he can get back to that level of that kind of like two, three week stretch before he got injured. And then also how the Isaiah Thomas situation affects him. Um, you know, everyone was kind of talking about, oh, they, they look solid together, despite the fact that I don't remember the exact figure, but I think they're outscored by like, you know, 16 or 17 points or something in the double digits when those two were on the court together against Dallas. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see how those, that kind of partnership with them works because I think on paper, it looks like it could work, but, but so far in in the one game, it didn't look that good. Yeah. Either way, it'll be fun. It'll make the Lakers interesting as their team still trying to win games down the stretch. So we'll watch out for that. A team that is not winning down the stretch that is in jeopardy of missing the playoffs. They have the reigning MVP, Russell Westbrook. I have this question. So I don't know if you watched the Warriors and the Oklahoma City Thunder game this weekend. I I, I did. What did you take away from that? Because, I mean, you obviously had the mellow scuffle with Kevin Durant at one point that a lot of people remember Zaza falling on Westbrook. But outside of that, like, the Thunder would be up and it would just feel like it would, the Warriors would come back and I just don't think the Warriors are nervous about the Oklahoma City Thunder at all. And just Josh Wastis cannot start on this team. It's just, it's not good. <laughs> it's not going to work come playoff time. And I, I looked up his uh, offensive and defensive efficiency after that game. And it's just like, he, I think he has the worst of all the rotation guys by far. And losing Andre Robertson is just, it exacerbated the point of like, why did they not go after Courtney Lee, Avery Bradley? I I get they had really limited trade options, but I don't know. Maybe it's the buyout market is what they're banking on is to get someone there to put at the two spot. But I just, I wonder, are we just like, are fans, analysts, writers just going too easy on this team that has arguably two top 10 players in the NBA right now, barely um, surviving in the Western Conference playoff chase? Like, I just, I think, we should have expected more and like the Timberwolves have kind of overachieved who we'll talk about in a second, but the thunder I think have really underachieved this year. And I, I wonder why much more hasn't been said about that. Yeah. Like I, I think you could look at it a couple ways. Um, like for, for me personally, I wasn't that high on the thunder heading into the season. 
Um, like I, I still like, look, I, I talked to some people who thought they'd be in like the six to eight range, which I, I disagreed with, but I was like, you know, this team to me definitely is going to be in that like four or five battle. I don't yeah. see them. Um, like I, I, you know, I talked to some people who thought they would be the, kind of in the Rockets position this year where they're like pushing the Warriors to the one seed. I was like, I don't see that at all. Um, I definitely see them more closer to like the four or five range. So, you know, with that said, they are, they're two games out of four. I mean, they're actually two games out of three. So I, I just think it, this has been a really weird year for the West where, um, you know, traditionally, as has been the case the past like 10 to 15 years, the West always has like at least five teams with, with 50 plus wins. And some years it's even been pushing like eight or nine. This year, there's a good chance the West could have two 50-win teams, and, and they'll both be in like the, the you know early to mid 60s uh, with, with the Rockets and Warriors. Like it's just been a really weird year. Like the you know the Spurs haven't had Kawhi, uh, the, the Timberwolves just have no depth whatsoever, and, and have been terrible with Jimmy Butler off the floor, which you know we'll get to later. Um, the Blazers have been incredibly inconsistent. The Pelicans really. I don't have that much depth either, but then obviously Boogie went down. Um, you go down the list, like every West team has, has either had a major injury or just doesn't have depth. So it's kind of almost like clustered all these teams together that are they're just kind of scrapping for wins. Uh, so I agree. Like, I do think the Thunder should be better in, in theory and on paper. Uh, you know, they started the season off horribly and, and um, you know, their, their offense was, was terrible. Uh, you know, their defense w- w- was good, but it, it's kind of been inconsistent at times to me. It, it just comes down to, I really don't like, I don't know where Carmelo Anthony fits into this team. Like, it seems like he should be doing more, but it's also like, it's kind of hard to say that without taking away from Russ and Paul George, who are both clearly better than him. And then you just look at the bench mm-hmm. and you're like, I just, I just don't see enough off the bench, especially with, with Roberson out, like. People can talk about his offensive shortcomings all they want, but he is a legitimate, like probably, you know, top 10, if not top five, like wing defender in the league. So I just think they, they, you know, I think this team is is built for the playoffs more. I think, you know, I would not want to face them in round one, whoever I am. Uh, but, I, you know, unless you're the Warriors, it doesn't really matter. But I think like Rockets, Spurs, Timberwolves, whoever they face in the first round, I think they're going to give them a run for their money. Uh, cause I, I, you know, obviously when you, when it slows down in the playoffs and you have a shorter rotation, all that stuff, like, I think that will benefit them. But in the regular season, like, I just don't think they have the depth and, and, you know, I don't think Billy Donovan has, has the coaching chops to really do creative stuff to kind of withstand things when, when Russ and Paul George are not on the court, um, or it's only one of them on the court. So I, to me, I, I, you know, I think they're underachieving slightly, but this was kind of the range I expected them to be in, which is kind of right there in the four or five that, that, you know, they've just been struggling a little bit lately. I thought they were going to be a three, four spot. And I I don't know if part of it is the Spurs doing so well without Kawhi Leonard and the Timberwolves really putting it together when they have their five man unit out there. But the Thunder just Westbrook's usage is still insane. And Paul George, and when you're talking about like Mello's addition and what he's really done in it, I think at the very least we've learned that Mello has done nothing for this team. And another thing where we talked about before the season that this was like my sneaky, like, Oh, he could be huge for them. And we were debating before the season. If like 
Patrick Patterson should start over Carmelo. And that was like a joke between like Melo and people like, oh no, he's uh, Melo starting. And when you think about it more, it's just like, I wonder what this team would have done if Patrick Patterson had been healthy all year and they haven't gotten anything out of him. And that's uh, largely an injury issue, but he's awesome. And not having him has been a huge detriment and losing Robertson who has one of their best uh, net ratings on the team. I think it's second on the team behind Westbrook, but I do not really like how much of a discrepancy there is between um russell westbrook and paul george's usage rate on this team i think paul george is just too good to be in the role that he's in on this team and that's part of why i really do hope he leaves this summer because part of like what made the thunder interesting last year is like there's something way more interesting and fun about a guy like Westbrook when it's him against the world and it literally is just him and a bunch of role players kind of like Iverson would have been less interesting if he was like flanked by Ray Allen for most of his career I think and Mm -hmm. now that he has a superstar next to him it just reminds us of like oh yeah this this is kind of annoying Paul George is too good to be taking the back seat to Russell Westbrook doing everything all the time and I don't want that I want Paul George like I think this has really hurt Paul George's like aura because we saw in the Pacers were like he especially come playoff time he was so important to them and just was a grinder and just carried them especially late in games and he's I, I just always have felt like he has been underutilized wherever he's gone and like if he was in the Spurs we'd look at him as like a top five player in the league and just being in back-to-back teams where it's just like I mean he's doing well he's shooting like 42 percent from three yeah. so it's obviously working offensively and he's Still great on both ends of the floor, but he should be doing more. And uh, I don't know. It just seems like a really flawed team that I think we should have seen more of before the season. And like giving up Canner and McDermott and other pieces to acquire Mello has really done nothing because they're still at the bottom end of the Western Conference. Yeah. And, and, and to that point, it's, it's almost like, you know, they're basically the same team as last year. Um, yeah. You know, they, they traded out some depth for a, you know, better obviously a better player in, in Paul George, but, um, you know, Cantor was, was an important piece off the bench. Oladipo was, was probably a little bit better than people gave him credit for last year, although nowhere near as, as good as he was this year or has been this year. Um, but yeah, I mean, again, like, I think it's, it's one of those things where like, you know, look, like if they, let's say they had won that game, uh, what they would be, if they had won that game, they would be the five seed right now. And we would be talking mm-hmm. about, oh my God, you know, they beat the Warriors three times. Like, you know, that that could be the second round matchup. Like they're going to be such an issue for them. Uh, the fact that they got blown out and, and dropped to seventh and were actually in eighth yesterday before the Nuggets lost. Uh, I, I think that's kind of coloring the perception of it. So like, I don't want to feed into it too much. Like there's still so much season left as we're going to talk about later or, or soon, like the Timberwolves are kind of screwed now uh, without Jimmy Butler. So like it would, you know, I still would probably pick the thunder to finish fourth. Um, if not even third, because the, the Spurs, you know, if Kawhi doesn't come back, like who, who knows what's going to happen with that situation. Um, they've kind of come back down to earth after their crazy hot start. Uh, so the Thunder very well could still finish third or, or fourth and kind of, you know, fulfill our preseason expectations. I just think this kind of speaks to uh, the the weird fit of, of the stars on this team and the, the lack of depth and, and kind of, 
you know, I, I just feel like everyone on this team that that's not Paul George or Russell Westbrook has like one or two really good skills and that's fine. I just don't think they really fit together. And I don't really think they've figured out what, what's the best use of all those skills. And I, I just think it's a very limited roster skill wise um, where there, there's just not a lot of versatility and malleability, but you know, among the roster, it's just very like, you know, Steven Adams is a beast in the paint and, you know, he's going to clean up the glass. He's going to finish around the rim and protect the rim. And that's it. And that's good. And Steven Adams is their third best player. Like let, let's not, you know, uh, let's not look past that. Like Steven Adams has been their third best player this season. Carmelo can score as well as anyone, but he's not done that consistently. Uh, you know, Raymond Felton's a solid backup point guard, but he hasn't had a great season. Uh, you know, Abrinas is a shooter, but like, you know, he kind of comes and goes. Jeremy Grant is a nice like energy guy off the bench, but he, you know, he's still is foul prone and, and can kind of disappear during games and stuff. So on and on down the line, like this is a very flawed roster. Um, and I think it just kind of shows how no matter how much top end talent you have, if the rest of your roster doesn't really make sense, it doesn't matter. Who do you think they close with the two spot? I mean, like, can you talk about them turning it on the playoffs? That's what I think of. I'm like, if they get matched up because the playoffs started today, they're facing the Warriors in round one. And yeah, it just, I think they get swept. I, like, I, I almost is Raymond. I, I don't know what happens. I almost feel like you got to go Paul George at the two. Okay. And they played him a lot there. Like 25% of his minutes have been at the two, I believe. Yeah. I think you, you got to go Russ, Paul George, Mello, Steven Adams, and then I guess the other the other player like in theory would either be like Patrick Patterson or Jeremy Grant. But either way, like that's that's a lot. Like maybe Abrinas gets some time and like maybe he's technically the two. I don't know. But like if you, you think I about think that right matching up with the Warriors like the the one thing I'll say is like if they match up with the Warriors, I think Steven Adams proved in that you know, a couple of years ago in the Western Conference Finals that, like, he can hang with the death lineup. And not only can he hang with the death lineup, he can make them pay on the other end. So the issue is that his, you know, lack of foot speed kind of causes defensively where, you know, he's fine guarding Draymond, but once you get a, a lot of action and a lot of moving and he has to switch and stuff, like, he actually plays Curry as well as any big man really can. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, any trade off defensively for, for his shortcomings gets, you know, completely obliterated on the other end where he will just pound you on the offensive glass and make you pay for that. So I think Steven Adams can, can play against the death lineup. I think obviously, you know, Mello's going to play whether he, he's supposed to or not. Obviously Paul George and Russell will be there. It's that fifth guy that, you know, you can either go big or you can go small. I'm not really sure. They don't, I mean, really they don't have the fifth guy. It's just like, they're going to have to figure it out. Um, you'd hope it to be Patrick Patterson, but he just has not shot the ball that well this season. So, you know, maybe he gets better as, as the season progresses. I, I, I don't know. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think that's a fascinating question. and It's going to be interesting. Like, it should have been Roberson, obviously, but, um, you know, w- w- with him out. And, I mean, the buyout market, I don't really see anyone that's going to be coming up that, that would make sense. So, uh, it, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see w- what happens with that. Maybe Sam Presti just calls the Knicks over and over again and just begs them to buy out Cornelia. Like, what is it going to have to do? Uh, what are we going to have to do? We've already done one deal. Please just give us Cornelia. We we just need a body. Yeah, and, and, the, and really the Knicks should be tanking right now. Um, 
Well, they if, are. If they're, well, they, yeah, they're involved. Like, Trey Burke is literally channeling 2001 Allen Iverson every game. I don't know if you've watched any of the Trey Burke games. So he has a sleeve. He's gone the baggy route. It's Trey Burke looks like one of the most out of place basketball players in 2018 I've ever seen. He's like averaging like 26 and eight. And he's like, everything about his game looks like it's just like, he's like decided in whenever he was at the G league and everything else that like, Oh, I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to do a remix to Allen Iverson in 2018. And that's how I'm going to stick in this league because he is shooting mid ranger after mid ranger. It, he, they're going in. So it's fine right now, I guess, but it's, it's so funny because he's so slow, but he's so smooth and it just, it looks good aesthetically. It's like, yeah, this is fun. But Trey Burke, he is just, he's gone full Allen Iverson in the early 2000s. So yeah, the Knicks are, the Knicks are tanking, I would say. <laughs> Well, yeah, all the people who uh, who've been holding on to their Trey Burke stock this whole time are uh, finally getting paid off, or it's finally paying off now. I guess, I guess. So the Timberwolves, another team that are kind of they're in this weird spot, like we've talked about in the West, where every team seems like outside of Golden State and Houston are just separated by only a few games and. The Wolves just lost Jimmy Butler to Tormeniscus, and he got uh, the type of surgery where it will not keep him out for the whole season. And basically, it will probably, uh, I'm not a doctor, but by all accounts, it seems like it's something that will inhibit him later in his career where he'll get arthritis quicker. And um, so he's coming back now. He'll be better. But the Wolves season, not for nothing. But at the same time, this is a this is a bad time for. There's no good time to lose Jimmy Butler, but especially now when they're trying to get home field advantage in the playoffs, and now it just it seems unlikely, right? Like they stick in the four spot. I, but then again, you look up and down this list, and you're like, who is just dying to get that four spot? I, I don't know. They it wouldn't surprise me if they finished fourth. It also wouldn't surprise me if they were like the eighth seed. Yeah, I mean. Well, so so here's I, I have some numbers for you, um, courtesy of ESPN Stats and Info. Uh, so uh, among all stars, which obviously is only a pool of what twenty eight guys, uh, including mm-hmm. the, the replacements, um, the worst team net efficiency by all stars. So uh, basically, the the you know the, the the worst teams by when their all star is off the court. Number one, the Hornets at negative eleven point seven, uh, you know, points per hundred possessions for Kemba Walker. Bucks at negative nine point seven for Giannis, and Timberwolves are third at negative eight point seven for Jimmy Butler. So Oof. that is, you know, and that that includes obviously minutes with Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins on the court. So basically. Whenever Jimmy Butler has been off the court, the Timberwolves have been one of the worst teams in the league. Their defense drops by over 10 points per 100 possessions. Um, opponent field goal percentage goes up by 5%. Three point, uh, field, you know, opponent field goal percentage goes up by 3%. And what's really interesting is looking at the, the on-off with the, the Timberwolves' big three. So with all of them on, they're plus 9.9, which is elite. You know, that's, that's almost Warriors level. Um, you know, like Warriors, Rockets uh, type level. 
with only Butler and Towns plus 6.3, which is still really good. Butler and Wiggins plus 5.9, also really good. So the kind of common thread there is Jimmy Butler being on the floor. But without Butler and with only Towns and Wiggins on the court, negative 11.3, which would be the worst at rating in the league. So granted, that's only 220 minutes. I think they should be better than that. But basically, like this is <laughs> this has not gone well when Jimmy Butler has not been on the court. So the only thing in the Timberwolves' advantage right now is they only have 19 games remaining, which is the fewest remaining games in the league. Um, hmm. so, you know, there's only so many games they could kind of lose and give away. <laughs> so because yeah. of that, I, I think they're going to make the playoffs. Like I, I, I don't really see them being in jeopardy, uh, missing the playoffs, but you know, if they go 10 and nine or, or like eight and 11 over these last, like, you know, 19 games, I definitely don't see them. You know, they're not going to catch the three seed. I don't see them catching the four. I, I see them probably dropping to five, six, which I think is going to suck because, you know, on, on paper, like let's say they're, they're in the four five with OKC. The only way I would give Minnesota a chance in that series is if they had home court advantage, but if they're playing Oklahoma city without home court advantage, I, I don't really see any way they win that series uh, personally. Yeah. So, so for me, I kind of think that this rules out them winning a playoff series. Uh, I still think they'll make the playoffs. I think they'll probably be in the you know five six seven range. Um, I think they have enough of a lead over over eight nine to, to to not really drop that low. But it has not worked right now, you know, with Jimmy Butler off the court. I wonder though, and you could always look at the positive angle. Like maybe this team is able to form an identity without Jimmy Butler that serves them better in the playoffs. And maybe he comes back with like you know a week or, or two left, or right before the playoffs, and they now kind of have an identity without him that, that will be sustainable in the postseason. I think that's like the best way to look at this, but it has not been pretty so far when Jimmy Butler's not been on the court and, you know, they've not, they've not just struggled. Like they've been horrible without him. So I'm really interested to see how these last 19 games play out because, you know, with that, that rating, you'd expect them to only win a few games without him, which, which, you know, would put them probably at the eighth seed in, in jeopardy of maybe missing the playoffs. I'd be more interested in seeing how they fare down the stretch if, like, I'm not wishing injury, let me be clear, but Wiggins is a workhorse. Like, if you look at the amount of minutes that he's already played in his NBA career and what he's logging this year along with Carl Anthony Towns, like, I I would be curious to see, like, if Tibbs was forced to play Jeff Teague with, like, Tyus Jones or some other guard um, in Wiggins' absence and then Jimmy Butler and Towns and Gibson were still on the floor like what that offensive and defensive rating would look like because my uh this is my expert analysis on the Timberwolves without Jimmy Butler. They're not going to be very good. But I think there's a strong possibility that if you put some league average her just you pair Jeff Teague with some sort of like a not like a Raymond Felton version uh, like a younger like Tyus Jones basically. If you put him next to Jeff Teague for stretches, I wonder what, how, I wonder how they fare per hundred possessions. I, I don't know, but I want to see it because they don't do it. Uh, Tibbs only plays his point guards in the point guard role, but at the same time, I'm still so confused and just unsure of how the Timberwolves are with Wiggins and if he's worth the money that he's getting and 
what his future is on that team, but Jimmy Butler is the linchpin. And like you said, without him, they're just, they're not a good basketball team. And it's kind of closer to what they were last year where they missed the playoffs. So I think if this was 10 games ago, they probably missed the playoffs. Like if they lose Jimmy Butler for like 30 games, I, I don't see a way that they survive. But with the amount that they have and just the way the West is going, where like the Pelicans are one AD or like Drew Holiday, like two week injury away from completely falling off the face of the earth. Like the Blazers are, are just hanging around. <laughs> they're, they're doing things. They've won like three straight, I think, but yeah, we'll see what happens with the nuggets when they get Paul Millsap back finally. But at the same time, like I don't really trust anyone below them, you know, like yeah. other than the thunder, like the thunder are going to make the playoffs. That's like, seems like a definite like Russell Westbrook. I don't think we'll allow them not to make the playoffs. Now yeah. will Russell Westbrook push them towards a first round exit. Of course it's the <laughs> Russell Westbrook special, but outside of that, uh, um, there's a real, there's real uncertainty there. And, and the, the one name we, we just barely talked about, uh, you know, was we talked about Butler and, and Wiggins and, and Teague, like this is kind of time for Carl Anthony towns to step up, right? Like, you know, his rookie season, there's some talk of, I mean, and I, you know, have to admit I was guilty of it too. I, I was kind of on this, this bandwagon of, Hey, you know, Carl Anthony Towns is pretty damn good. I might rather have him than Anthony Davis. And I think last year, Anthony Davis kind of shut those people up. And then this year has only, you know, shut us up even more. Uh, you know, I think, I'm sure you you could probably craft some type of argument, but really, like you know, health health aside, I, I think you take Anthony Davis over Carl Anthony Towns. Like that's that's pretty much a no brainer. But this would be the time for Carl Anthony Towns to really step up and prove, because like you just said, like they've basically been the same team as last year without Jimmy Butler, which is not a good thing, right? Like that, you know, we already expected them to make the playoffs last year. There are some people thinking that even win 50 games. And, you know, they won 32 games. So, um, you know, now over this last 19 game stretch, this is a great time for Carl Anthony Towns to step up. You know, this is unquestionably your team now with Jimmy Butler out, you know, put up 28 and 12 and, and you know, dominate the game on, on both ends of the floor. Um, you know, it, it's your time to kind of prove your, your worth as, as a you know, franchise caliber player, because right now, like, Towns, you know, and that's kind of been the story of Towns' career so far. Like, he puts up the, the, the pretty numbers and he has, you know, he's efficient, has good percentages and all this stuff, but it's not really translating to on court success. And it's not really translating to de- defensive success. So now's your chance. You got 19 games. Like, you know, ma- make me feel better for, <laughs> for believing in you over Anthony Davis and then not like an idiot. Um, like, the, I think this is a, you know, big time for Carl Anthony Towns to really show what type of player he's going to ultimately become because, um, you know, if this team really struggles and, and, you know, drops to seven or eight or even falls out of the playoffs somehow, like it's going to be a really bad look for him. With Jamal Crawford on the floor, they are minus 14.5 points. Per well, that, that, and he's going to be playing a lot of minutes now. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I don't Jamal, feel great. I, I don't feel great. Falling off a little bit. Oh my God. Like, that might be the thing to watch is just not even like cat, but like cat's going to obviously like you said, have to step up even more, but just how can, how much can he do to stop the bleeding that Jamal Crawford is going to provide at 34 minutes a night? Because he's, 
Like, he's already played 1,100 minutes this year at his age. He's 37. Like, what are they even going to have from him come playoff time? And it's not like they have any other bench guys. So they're about to use up a bunch more of their role players that are already playing a lot of minutes. I I just, man, what a bummer. Jimmy Butler's awesome. And I I just don't like that this is the way they're going to limp into the playoffs if they even can survive. So another thing, though, that uh, another team, this is a very Western Conference heavy playoff uh, podcast. This was not the original intent. This was organic, but that's just the way (laughs) the NBA is right now. A lot more intrigue in the West as of this moment. Kawhi Leonard, the more news, the way I look at this is like the more ESPN stories, the more SI stories, the more Woj bombs, the more reporting that we see about Kawhi and the Spurs, the more that tells me that this is getting worse and worse. Like, I don't think if things were improving, more stuff would be getting leaked, more discontent would be put on public display. Like, it it's really bizarre, and I don't think anybody's got like a great feel on the future between the two of them. But at the same time, I don't think it's inching towards a resolution, or else this would be nipped in the butt because the Spurs are so typically quiet that for these to continue getting out, like obviously at least one side is not happy and it's not seeming to change anytime soon. Yeah, this has been. <sighs> there's been a lot of weird stories this year. Like this has been a very weird year of, of like, I, again, like the, the Markel Fultz thing is probably one of the weirdest stories ever. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, just, just the, the secrecy behind like his injury. And then the fact that he blatantly, you know, drastically altered his, his shooting form for the worse as if like he legitimately looks like a guy who's never played basketball before is picking up a basketball for the first time. Like that is like his, his current shot is worse than like the average high school, like varsity player shot, like legitimately, um, which is incredible to say. Um, so that's been insane. This is right up there. Like the Spurs never have these issues. And the only time they've had these issues is when, you know, like a guy like LaMarcus Aldridge comes in who, you know, from the jump, we knew that this was, it was going to be a little bit of a weird, you know, situation with him and the Spurs. Like a lot of people were skeptical, like LaMarcus Aldridge isn't really a Spurs type player. And like, is he going to buy into the culture? Is he going to put his ego aside? Like, you know, the part of the reason he left Portland was because Damian Lillard was getting a lot of attention and he felt he was better than him how is he going to handle going to San Antonio where Kawhi clearly is better than him and Kawhi is the man in, in the future and the franchise guy. So as we saw, like that wasn't really the best situation. The Marcus wanted to trade, you know, it's worked out this season, but you know, with Kawhi, it's like Kawhi was, you know, day one basically has been a spur is like the prototypical spur, quiet guy, respectable, um, you know, no, you know, high character, no off the court issues, no ego issues. Like Kawhi is very much like, you know, basically created in a lab to be a spur. And for this, you know, whatever the hell is going on between them, um, you know, miscommunication and some animosity and, and, you know, misdiagnosis and all this stuff. Like it's just a very weird situation, uh, you know, for any franchise to deal with, but, but really, especially the Spurs. And I, I don't know how it's going to be resolved. If, 
you know, I'd be shocked if they traded him. I just think like Kawhi, when healthy, is a top three or four player. It really doesn't make sense to trade him. Like he's, you know, probably the best two-way player in the league. Um, you know, I, I would think that'd be ridiculous. And unless you know there's like some permanent damage that he'll never be the same guy. Like I think it would be, you know, ridiculously stupid to trade him um, unless he demands it. But, uh, you know, I, I've never seen something like this, especially with the Spurs. And I'm, I'm really intrigued to see how it plays out this summer. And he's been cleared. Like the Spurs would play him right now if he wanted to play by all accounts. So he's, it's on, it's his camp that's uh, inhibiting him from stepping on the court right now. And we've only seen him, what, 19 games? And he didn't look off, but he was only playing a few minutes. I mean, it was like 20-ish, uh, I believe. But yeah, just, we, we don't really know what to make of this because so much of it just seems like there's one camp pushing one idea. And this goes back to your, uh, Markel Fultz analogy, which is like, there's so many different perspectives being pushed out there that like, and you should definitely read Nubik's uh, piece in the file and the uh, Philly voice.com that profiles all of this uh, and that craziness. I don't think it's that insane, but do we like, where are you right now? Do you think Kawhi gets moved this summer? Because when I think about that, just the idea of moving a top three player in the NBA, like, the Spurs, if they moved on from Lamarcus Aldridge, they wouldn't have to like reassess their entire roster like they would if they moved Kawhi Leonard. Because if you move Kawhi Leonard, like you're hitting the reset button altogether because all those pieces don't make any sense if you don't have a top ten player in the league that you can build around everything else. But if he if you trade Lamarcus Aldridge, it's fine. Like they're they'd be able to recalibrate and make some slight adjustments and be okay. I just I don't know what kind of deals out there where it would save them from years and years of just a painful rebuild if they move Kawhi. Like they're really screwed, especially with how much money they're already paying and they just paid Gasol and everybody else. Like if they do have to move him because it's such a problem behind the scenes, like the Spurs are in some serious trouble, I think. Yeah, I I don't like well, what, what's fascinating to me, and, and I think it's it's crystallized as I've been around the NBA longer and just seen how, you know, look, like the Clippers, I think, are a great example of this. Um, but it, it definitely happened in, in multiple, you know, situations with, with multiple players and teams and just seems to always happen. Like, the NBA is so ego-driven. And everyone, you know, is at the highest level of – their craft, whether that's coaching, front office, players, like ownership, like, you know, all these people are, are incredibly successful at what they do, like at an elite, elite level, such that I think they all have incredibly high egos. And it, you know, this kind of just shows that even with a, with a franchise like the Spurs who have been so historically selfless and, and team oriented and have this great chemistry, like, it's not, you know, whatever's going on could probably be addressed or at least improved by having, you know, let's all sit down and talk about this face to face. You know, we'll, we're going to have an hour conversation about this. We're going to hash everything out. You air your grievances. I air my grievances. Let's just clear this up. 
But like those conversations are so rarely productive and, and just rarely happen in the NBA because everyone has such a damn big ego that, you know, no one's willing to admit they're wrong. No one's willing to make concessions. And it's just amazing to me that like, you, you know, the, the one franchise that has kind of seemingly been able to avoid those pitfalls is, is the Spurs. And now it seems like they're kind of going to do that with Kawhi. So with that said, I ultimately, I'm, I'm going to trust the Spurs history and the way they do things and, and think that this is salvageable and that they'll figure out a way to, to fix it, whether it's, you know, within the next month or whether it's in the off season. I think they're going to move forward with Kawhi unless he really wants to leave, which, you know, could be the case. Um, but like you said, like if they move him, look, like they, they still might win 50 games this year without him uh, for from basically all the season. But this is not a sustainable situation without Kawhi Leonard. And, you know, DeJounte Murray looks like he's going to be solid. Uh, you still got LaMarcus and, you know, Powell and Ginobili and, and Tony on their last legs. But like, this is not a, a contending team without Kawhi Leonard or, or, you know, another all-star and who knows, maybe they get LeBron James this summer and maybe that kind of solves that. But, um, you know, I, I think they'll fix it, but you know, that said the fact that this stuff is even being reported and is, you know, allegedly true, like that kind of gives me some pause and I'm like, who, who knows? Like the situation could already be, you know, we saw with Kyrie, like, once that kind of snowballs, like it, it's kind of hard to take it back. So um, nothing would surprise me at this point, but I, I'm going to say I have faith in the Spurs that, that they resolve this. I think you made a good point there with the snowballing thing, which is like, it just, you can just read the tea leaves, honestly, with like Kyrie and situations like this, where it's hard to see a situation where it goes back the other way, but you're like, we're giving the Spurs the benefit of the doubt because they're the Spurs. But, I, I, we've seen this before. This is we just are all perplexed that it's actually happening to the Spurs. Like any other team would be like, oh yeah, this means he's gone. And then like remember like Anthony Davis just like a week or two ago was openly talking about and questioning whether or not he was going to be the next guy who stayed on his first team too long. And then he quickly backtracked and um, committed to the Pelicans and everything else. But like speaking of Davis. Like, if I'm the Spurs, there's really only, like, two, three teams that I realistically listen to to move on from Kawhi Leonard, and one of them's the Pelicans. Like, I'd listen to Kawhi for Anthony Davis. I think I'd do that. Yeah. And then, um, if Kawhi really wanted out, but if he didn't, I would keep him. Giannis, but the Bucks aren't giving up Giannis, so that's not happening. And then the Knicks would be the last option with Porzingis. I just yeah. I, there's I mean, no I, one else that you can get right now that would come close to what I mean the Thunder with Paul George but you're not getting Paul George in that context so I I don't know they're they're just kind of screwed because they're not going to get a great return because you're losing a top three player and no matter what teams that trade away a top three player end up losing that trade it's just there's no there's LeBron there's James Harden there's Kevin Durant but you're not getting any of those guys for Kawhi Leonard. And I, I think they're just screwed if they trade him. Yeah. I mean, and, and I, I think there's something to be said of like, we don't know exactly how he's going to heal and recover. Like, you know, it's one thing to be clear. It's another thing to like, we have not seen 
you know, top three player Kawhi since the playoffs, right? And granted, you know, he didn't play that much this season, but, you know, until that guy's back, we don't know what, you know, how he's going to, like, you know, we've seen enough of, of injuries over the past few years that, like, you, you don't know. Like, not everybody is Paul George who, who comes back as good, if not better, than, than before he got injured. Like, it, you know, people recover from injury in many different ways. And Kawhi's young enough and athletic enough where you kind of, you know, skilled enough where you're like, okay, he probably should be as good as he was. And even if he's not, he was already so good that, like, 90% of Kawhi is still like a top 20 player um, and, you know, still a franchise guy. But, you know, I'm interested to see kind of that, how that works out. But like you said, like he's not getting traded for, you know, however you want to rank the top trade assets in the league. I don't think any of the top 10 to 15 guys, like those teams will move them for Kawhi. I just don't think that's going to happen. Um, you know, look, maybe the late, maybe the Lakers, can come up with with some type of package that um you know throwing in like lonzo or, or ingram if he gets that bad like I, but i think that's a more like realistic scenario where it's like okay we're gonna have to you know Kawhi wants out we're gonna have to move him let's move him somewhere we, we can get some young pieces back and then now like the lakers are getting their guy and spurs are you know <laughs> although lavar with pop would be one of the uh <laughs> Lavar with Pop would be oh my god I don't even know what to say. Uh, <laughs> Pop, Pop, Pop would well. destroy Lavar. Um, so yeah, so I mean I, I'm just kind of you know riffing off the top, but I think that's a more like Kawhi for some type of young package would probably make more sense to me, um, and, and maybe I'm undervaluing his value right now, but I, I do think there's some concern of like we don't know how. Like there's something weird with this whole situation where it's like he's being cleared, but his camp does not feel he's ready to come back, whether that's because he's, they don't feel he's cleared or, you know, they're mad at the Spurs or whatever, but something is up with his health that is, you know, a little bit concerning. And for me, I would be afraid to give up too much to get him until I see that he's clearly a hundred percent and that, you know, back to that guy. Yeah, and like you said, we just don't know because we haven't seen enough of him since he was pushing the Warriors in uh, Game 1 of the Western Conference Finals last year before he went down. And uh, yeah, I I don't know. I think this is going to be a situation that if I had to guess that it does not end well for San Antonio because the players usually win these kind of battles. And I don't know if Kawhi, like he already has his ring. That's the other interesting nugget is like, it's not like he has to worry about going somewhere and trying to finally win a ring. It's he's already done that. And he's already gone toe to toe with LeBron. He's already been in LeBron's head in the finals. Like Kawhi's already proven a lot at his age. I mean, he's only played in the league for six years, I think. And I I wonder if where he goes next, he won't value uh, contention as much as other superstars might because like an Anthony Davis, who's just craving me on a contending team and wants to win a title. But like Kawhi's already been there, done that. And uh, if you're asking out of San Antonio, it seems to indicate that you're, I mean, it, it, I don't know if this is a hundred percent fair, but I would start to raise my eyebrows to whether or not you really 
cared anymore about winning titles and more of it was like just personality issues and things behind the scenes and things off the floor. So I, I don't know. I think if I had to make a prediction right now as to whether or not Kawhi Leonard is a spur at the start of next year, I would say no. Interesting. Um, so do you, do you want to predict a trade or are you just going to leave it at? No, because I just, I don't know like the trade stuff. I want to do more deep dive into that, but like, I think no matter what the Spurs lose <laughs> yeah. the Spurs, no matter what, when you trade Kawhi Leonard at this point in his career, I just, I don't think they're going to get the kind of return that he's worth because it's just impossible to get that kind of return on trades in today's NBA. So I, I don't know. I, I don't think he's a, I, I guess the Pelicans would be their best bet. If you can get AD for Kawhi Leonard, yeah. I think you do it, but I don't even know if the Pelicans would even do that. Yeah, though that would I mean that would be like that's the other thing is if the Spurs are gonna trade Kawhi, you know they're gonna they're gonna get a great deal back. Like now, again, they're probably gonna lose the trade because you you know, basically never win trades for you know, when you're trading away a star. But it would not surprise me if the you know, if the Spurs pull something out of their you know, behind that is akin to that just because they're, they're, you know, they're, they're the Spurs. And although who knows, like maybe, maybe this is the moment they stop becoming the Spurs and this whole thing kind of, you know, Pop, Popovich retires in a couple of years. You know, Cause that's the thing, Pop, Pop, you know, Pop has said that he's, you know, he promised Kawhi that he, you know, as long as Kawhi's playing, he's going to be coaching him. Well, when, uh, you know, when if Kawhi's gone, who, who knows? Uh, and then that, you know, Kawhi leaves, Pop retires, like that. It's hard to keep the Spurs thing going potentially. So, what do you think, though? Do you think he? I, I, th- I think he's a Spurs. I think he's a Spurs. I've been brainwashed enough by that organization to, <laughs> uh, to to believe that. But you know, it, and, and I I think you know maybe something that could could potentially patch that up is, is getting LeBron James, which I think uh, not, not that I would put them as the favorite, but I definitely think they have a chance at getting LeBron, um, especially if this playoff reseeding thing happens, because then at that point, West East doesn't really matter as much. Yeah, but the, we'll see what happens there. I'm, I'm not, I'm pretty dubious about any significant changes coming to the NBA playoff format anytime soon, but we'll see um that's good we ended on a disagreement i think we agree on a lot of stuff all the time so i'm glad we yeah. disagree as to what Kawhi's future is to add some uh some variety in our opinions on this podcast do you have anything uh coming down the pike this week uh espn uh i do not the only bit of news is that uh i was recently promoted last week um mm. so before I was on the live content team with a focus on NBA and now I've been moved to the NBA team. So my focus will only be the NBA, um, which I'm excited about going to get to work with writers one-on-one and, and also get to you know write a little bit and cover some stuff more for myself. So uh, looking forward to that. Nice. All right. That's good. Yovan, making progress. 
That's good. So you're basically like, what, six months away from being too big to be on this podcast? <laughs> uh, no, no. I'll, I'll never be too big for, for the Chase Thomas podcast. All right. Well, I'm going to pull that soundbite and put <laughs> it on my Dropbox for later. later. Uh, All right, man. Well, I appreciate you taking the time. As always, we can find you on Twitter at Yovambua. We can read you on ESPN.com. We can keep up with all of your basketball playing ability and your Migos interviews on Instagram and everything else. Um, But uh, we will have to talk again soon, sir. Yes, sir. We will. Thanks for having me on, man. All right. Thanks, Yovan. Sam Pacini is on the line right now. And first things first, I have to ask, <laughs> where are you at right now with the NCAA FBI hoopla? Because I think Obama has chimed in, apparently, at the Sloan Sports Conference. LeBron's chimed in. Where are you at? What is the Sam Pacini take right now? <laughs> I mean, what I would say about it is this. Like, I don't really care all that much about it. Like that's kind of where I'm at. Uh, It's been very clear for many, many years that this has been happening. I haven't exactly been quiet about the fact that I think everyone in college basketball is getting paid. Uh, I, you know, it's, it's whatever pay them. I don't, I don't care if some kid took dinner. I I don't care about the competitive advantage within college basketball. Uh, Just, you know, just be open about it. Let's, let's let these kids have agents. Let's let these kids have, uh, you know, representation and let them make money on the free market. It's, it's kind of bizarre to me that that's not the obvious solution here. It's surprising, um, just to see the reaction because it does feel like we're kind of inching closer and closer to doomsday situation with the NCAA and the one in general and everything else. Like silver seemed to imply that it was in the back burner among other fixes that he's looking at in the future. But now I wonder with everything coming out that he's like, okay, now we actually have to make adjustments sooner rather than later. I wonder if that's changed his uh, itinerary a little bit. Yeah, I'm very interested in that as well. I I don't really have a great gauge of where the NBA is now, because I I did think at some point, uh, you know, as of last year, I I would have said that at some point in the next two to three years, I think that the one and done will probably end. I don't know if I'm there anymore, given the way that Adam Silver has spoken about it recently. It seems like they have more pressing issues that they're looking to try and negotiate over the course of the next few years. So I'm, I think that it would help the situation. I don't think it's the biggest issue at all within the situation. I think that no matter what you have, you're always going to have kids getting paid. Uh, there's always going to be a black market scenario an underground scenario, as long as amateurism is involved, Mm. like Jalen Brunson, for instance, like was a five-star kid that was never going to be able to go pro right out of high school. I mean, there's still always going to be a market for that guy. And I don't know if Jalen Brunson took money or not, but like I, there's always going to be a market for that guy. And there's always going to be a market for the best players to try and recruit the best players to try and uh, represent the best players. And it's just always, it's always going to exist. That's, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. It's kind of sad, but I guess my question would be like, do we, (laughs) are college baseball players getting paid it like that's the other question i first thought of i don't know why that made me think of that but just i love going to college baseball games and uh i don't know i I never really thought about it but it's just so weird it seems like so much on the outskirts and it's just because 
all these games are televised and they're still big names. So even if you do get the one and done rule, like you said, there's still going to be value to getting these kids into your school for a couple of years. If you switch it up where if you don't go pro, you go to college for a couple of years. Those kids are still likely the superstars are still going to get paid. Yeah, I would say that I think the money in college basketball is very different than the money in other sports. I would also say the nature of the sport of basketball is very different than other sports. Mm-hmm. A singular player can make such a massive difference mm-hmm. in terms of a team's fortunes that it's worth expending more money on a football team. For instance, the, the numbers are just lower. I think like, yeah, a great quarterback should probably still be getting a lot of money, but he is still only an outsized part of a 22 man starting lineup mm-hmm. in basketball. It's a five man starting lineup. The, the guys just play such a larger difference in terms of uh, what their impact is on the floor that I, I just don't see the money as being that exorbitant in the other sports to where it, I mean, it, it could certainly use a fix if we care about the NCAA's amateurism structure, but I, I mean, basketball is certainly the worst of it. I think, I think Jay Bills cares. The jury's still out, but I'm, I feel like he cares at this point. Jay Billis cares. Yeah, Jay cares. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of people who grew up in the era of like big college basketball, I think, really care. Um, I don't. I will say, <laughs> I, a lot of I the just, those guys seemed really hurt though by the Sean Miller stuff. Like I watched that broadcast, which may or may not be true. Even yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like that was reported. And now we have a report from 24 seven sports saying like there are some pretty significant, massive issues in terms of the timeline. So, uh, I mean, yeah, like this, this stuff is so silly to me. So Sean Miller could be rising again. DeAndre Ayton could come back for the tournament. Is that what you're, is that what you're hinting at, Sam? I think, well, DeAndre Ayton's playing right yeah. now. So he's, I, I think well, he's going to be playing. At the time, like he was like, it was inevitable that he was going to be gone too. Yeah, th- that was silly, I thought, okay. because you look at what's actually in this report. It's very unclear if DeAndre Ayton actually did anything wrong. What, what was in the original ESPN report was that Sean Miller was talking on a wiretap to Christian Dawkins about paying $100,000 for DeAndre Ayton. Mm-hmm. Doesn't say that DeAndre Ayton got paid. Doesn't say that he was brokered to Arizona. It just says Sean Miller was talking on a wiretap. That's... That's not enough to suspend Sean Miller or to suspend DeAndre Ayton. I'm sorry. It's enough to suspend Sean Miller, at least get him out of the media's hair for a while, because I think they should be worried about getting him in front of those people. But on the same token, I think that it's uh, it's hard to suspend DeAndre Ayton for that without doing further investigation. Hmm. That should be interesting to follow then. So you love prospects. I it's getting harder and harder to figure out who's going where, especially with like Luka Doncic and how he fits in versus like the DeAndre Ayton's. And then we haven't even really seen much of Michael Porter Jr. this year really at all, but I think he just got cleared. Right. So he might be playing soon. Is that, is that a thing? Um, maybe he's cleared, but no one really knows. He is cleared. He's cleared to play, but no one knows he's actually going to play. Uh, Well, NBA executives are apparently telling him, uh, to play this season. So that's who, nice. Who, who wrote that? Uh, let's who said that? That is an, in, this is good pos- bod- podcasting right now. This was ESPN St. Louis post dispatch. NBA executives encourage Porter Jr. to play. Uh, they said it could boost his draft stock. Let's see. 
Yeah, I mean, sure. It could boost his draft stock. It, nothing with Michael Porter matters until he gets in front of NBA team doctors and actually like, does medical testing. Goodman said that? Mm-hmm. Wow. I'm shocked. Good good for Jeff. Did he say it to the St. Louis Dispatch? Uh, No, I think St. Louis Dispatch just... Uh, Aggregated? Yeah. Cause yeah, I mean, yeah, Jeff Goodman, um, he surveyed NBA executives and they were the ones who said that he should play. Sure. So uh, I've talked to quite a few myself. And what I would say is that if he is 100% healthy, sure, he should play. If he's anything less than 100%, he should not play. And we don't have any indication on that yet. So I, I don't really... Like it's kind of like a hypothetical that I don't know that I care to practice in. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. a weird decision. Uh, it's it's a very personal decision. And again, at the end of the day, Michael Porter has been seen by NBA executives more than I think any other prospect over the course of the last, let's say, seven years mm-hmm. since before high school or before college. I mean. Right. So he's been seen so, so much. He literally went to every single event that he could go to that NBA executives were there for. They know his game as well as just about anyone else can. And I mean, like maybe he could go number one if he comes in and like, you know, falls out for Missouri and does everything that uh, he was promised to do. But I don't think that's important, to be honest. Like, it's just not that big of a deal whether he goes number one or number five. Um, if he's hundred percent healthy, he should maybe play, but all that's going to matter at the end of the day is his medical testing. All that's going to matter is the report that NBA teams get back on him. So it's, it's a very personal decision. I don't really think that people should be telling him to play one way or another. I just think he should be careful and make sure that he doesn't get drafted by the Kings at number four. That's my biggest concern. I'm <laughs> ensuring that he doesn't go to the Kings. Yeah, I would be worried about that, too. Um, Going to the Kings is very bad for people's health, it seems like. (laughs) Yeah, unless you're Bogdanovich, who somehow has just... I I don't understand how he's broken through, I guess, because he was already a finished product when he went over there and everything else. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, Buddy Heald's been good this year, too. Like, I I don't think we should diminish what healed has done given how poorly he started yeah. uh, in sac or in new Orleans last year. He's actually been pretty good this year. I, mm-hmm. uh, at least like he looks like a very real NBA wing, uh, even on that team that does not seem to have many real NBA players right now. <laughs> like th- I think that's worth saying. Yeah. I think that's worth stating. That's fair. So they have that. They have three pieces, I guess. Well, four if you want to say Willie Coystein, but they won't. Um, I don't know. Like the Scala BCA stuff will always drive me nuts. I don't know why he doesn't play a bunch and they just don't utilize him more. But I'll always be a Scal homer. I don't know why. I, I love Scala BCA's game and I wish he would be unleashed at some point. Yeah, I mean, I think we often underrate the role of physical strength, like in terms of NBA prospects, right? Like you as men. That I, I think that it doesn't totally surprise me that Scal isn't playing, but I also don't think that that diminishes the potential long-term value that I think he has as an NBA prospect. Uh, I'll just be interested to see if the Kings get the most out of him. Uh, spoiler alert, they're not going to. Um, <laughs> who are your favorite top five prospects right now? Like, go in descending order. 
Okay. So I, I would say that number five, I have uh, Michael Porter, as okay. we've talked about earlier. I mean, we've, we've seen him enough mm-hmm. to know that he's really good at basketball. Uh, number four, I have Jaron Jackson out of Michigan State. I think he's probably the best defensive prospect in this class. Uh, he is 6'10", 7'4", wingspan, blocks shots at a similar rate to Muhammad Bamba, except is also an incredible perimeter defender already at that size. Uh, very balanced, very under control, can close out on shooters, can really slide his feet. He also can shoot threes, which is very important in the modern NBA at that size. Uh, number three, I've got Marvin Bagley. Uh, I just straight up believe that Marvin Bagley is going to translate to the NBA a little bit better than he does to college due to his athleticism levels. He's one of the most athletic players at that size that I think I've ever seen in my life. Uh, Number two, I have Luka Doncic. He is doing things in Europe that literally have not been seen before that are unprecedented. Uh, He is arguably the EuroLeague's MVP so far, and he played half of the season at 18 years old against men and against like former all conference college players. So really, really good player. Really, really, I think getting underrated in a lot of circles that just don't get a chance to see him enough. And then number one, I have Deandre Ayton. I just look at a guy who is seven foot one with that long of arms and who has 2% body fat or 4% body fat at 260 pounds and just looks like a beast already. Plus has a burgeoning perimeter game. He, he can knock down the occasional three. He can put the ball on the deck. He can pass. And he's also just the most physically strong dude I think I've ever seen. So I, I just look at that skill set and look at how mobile he is and think that as soon as he gets to an NBA roster, he's going to be able to dominate uh, just in a way that we haven't seen in a while. Is there any chance he could be better than Embiid? I don't see it. It's hard with Embiid because the injuries are such a factor with him. I, mm-hmm. I don't really think that you can underrate that in any significant way. Like I think you have to consider for the rest of his career, this is a guy that is going to have the potential for injury issues Do you think and has those same things or no, I don't know. Okay. I, I think that Deandre has never been hurt as far as I know. So that's going to help him. That right, that's going to stop. Table, so I'm going to go ahead and knock on this just in case the Hawks get Deandre. And so continue. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I think that he's a really, really uh, just solid prospect. I will say that the difference between Embiid and Aiton is that Embiid came into the NBA and was a very, very good defender. Uh, DeAndre Aiton is not a good mm-hmm. defender yet. He has not shown that ability. So we'll see what happens. He certainly has the physical tools to do it. He's already a good perimeter defender. But if you're that size, you're hoping for a monster interior defender, too. And he's not that yet. Who's your like favorite lower end lottery guy that actually might end up being in like a three year from now redraft could be it should have been at like the number three spot, but they've for whatever reason fell to 11 or people just overlook them kind of like a Donovan Mitchell, Giannis, that kind of thing. Yeah, that's a really tough one. This I don't think this class is quite as strong in that range as, uh, you know, what past drafts have been i would say necessarily uh i mean i would probably look at i like chandler hutchison out of boise state i think he's okay. very very 
I think he's very, very good. 6'7 with a 6'11 wingspan. Uh, very, very skilled. Can put the ball on the deck. Can handle. Uh, Attack-oriented. But can also, I think, knock down some shots. I think he'll improve throughout the pre-draft process in terms of really focusing in on his shooting. Uh, fluid athlete at that size. Can really get up and throw down, but can also move laterally. Uh, that, that's kind of the way the NBA is going. It's kind of a perfect fit for what his skill set is. Has there been a Boise NBA player ever? Ah, good question. I, I would have this would be think pretty cool. A Boise that. State Bronco in the NBA. Yeah, I'm not sure, but as a lottery yeah, player, no less. Yeah, I th- to be honest, like I, I would feel a lot more comfortable in a normal draft taking him like at 20 mm. or so uh, than in the lottery, just because I I don't like the depth of this okay. draft in that range. I, I would also point out Daniel Gafford. Two, you know, six ten, seven foot two wingspan out of Arkansas, freaky, freaky uh, leaper, and, and just a very active defender on both ends. He's a little bit heavy footed, I think, which scares me in terms of his long term potential as a perimeter defender. Mm-hmm. But he really gives a damn on that end, and I think that that counts for a lot. Whenever you also account for his size and just physical advantages he has on people. Are you worried about Trey Young translating to the NBA at all? I am. Uh, I think that anyone who would tell you they're not is probably lying. (laughs) Um, He's an incredibly gifted and talented player. There's no question about it. He can shoot the ball from 30 feet and he's an incredible pull up shooter, which I think puts uh, an immense amount of pressure on the defense. But on the same token, the physical size and physical strength and length, those factors are real. I think I you've seen physical defenders this year, be able to really get up into him such as Barry Brown at Kansas state, such as Javon Carter uh, and the rest of that West Virginia perimeter attack. You you can really, how old is Javon Carter? uh, 30. I think we, he's listed at 23, but I think we can just (laughs) like, I never thought we would see someone who looked older than the Kansas guy. What was it? What's his name? Perry Ellis. Yeah, Perry Ellis. Yeah. He somehow looks 10 years older than Perry Ellis. He actually looks like Gerald Henderson in his last NBA year. That's what it is. He really does. He really (laughs) does. Like he has a Jared Bayless look right now. Um, Oh my God. Yeah, no, he's, he's awesome. He's very fun. I have him as like a top 40 draft prospect because I really like like a Josh Hart type where he like will maybe stick on the right team and could be a good three and D guy. Yeah, I think that's what he is. Like a good three and D guard. Uh, more of like a one-two than a two-three, like Hart is. But mm-hmm. I think he can play that role. Uh, he's like sneaky, a lot better of a full-court defender and like pesky at the point of attack than he is as a half-court defender. Mm-hmm. And like dealing with navigating screens and dealing with, uh, you know, off-ball movement. But I, I would say that I do think he can play a role at the next level, just due to sheer energy levels. Like that guy's gonna play hard constantly. Interesting. Um. Last thing, and then we need to go. Who's winning the national championship? Oh, God. Um, and as an Ohio State guy, you cannot say Ohio State. All right, fine. Um, I would probably say Michigan State. Uh, really? I think okay. they, were, they were my pick in the preseason. They're the most talented team in the country, I think. The problematic uh, champion. I like it. I'm, yeah, I mean, I'm all in on just like causing the NCAA a bunch of headaches, too. So that always helps. But, you know, I, I just think they're the most talented team. They have a really good point guard in Cassius Winston. They have good wings in uh, Josh Langford, or a, a good wing in Josh Langford, I should say. They also have the best front court depth that 
I can really remember in college basketball, like Miles Bridges, Jaron Jackson, Nick Ward are all all conference Big Ten players. And then you look behind them like Ben Carter was a starter on UNLV for years uh, or for a couple years, at least Uh, Xavier Tillman was a top 70 prospect who I think would be starting on quite a few Big Ten teams right now. Kenny Goins is playing reasonably well, I guess. Gavin Schilling would be starting on a lot of Big Ten teams as a good interior defender who can move his feet and pick and roll. So, I I mean, this this team is absurd in terms of front court depth. I think that's going to serve them well as they move forward in the NCAA tournament. Personally, I'm hoping Iowa runs the table after that kid missed the free throw intentionally to preserve the, the record, the free throw streak record, so... We'll see what happens there, but I'm not feeling great about Fran's team. No, no, you should not feel great about that. That is the worst high major defensive team this year in college basketball. Really? They're very bad. They're very bad defensively. What a bummer. I guess my favorite dark horse would be like Xavier. I want a random small team. That's actually really good. That actually has a real chance. We had the Villanova story. Let's get Xavier in there. Let's get some musketeer action. Xavier's good. Xavier, I think, has a... Decent chance. They're probably going to be a one or two seed uh, in the NCAA tournament. So I think they have a real shot. I mean, in terms of other small teams like that, I think Gonzaga has a real chance oh, too. Like there we go. I would be, I would probably have Gonzaga in my final four. I love that team. I think they're very, very good. Huh? Okay. I like it. Um, as long as Rick Barnes and Tennessee doesn't sneak in or Virginia, actually, that's all I want. No Virginia. I've never hated watching a college basketball team more in my life than Tony Bennett's <laughs> Virginia teams. They're, just unbearable virginia is uh, it's an acquired taste no I would it's say. not no one's acquiring that taste it's <laughs> awful you oh, have God. to really enjoy good defense if you enjoy watching team, team watch like nations of good rotations defensively then virginia is very good uh that is probably the biggest basketball hipster thing i've ever said in my life though <laughs> well i'm glad we got you to just say that on this podcast <laughs> <laughs> Sam, I really appreciate you taking the time. This was a lot of fun. We can read you at the Athletics Fieldhouse, at the great college basketball site on theathletic.com, um, where you're a college basketball writer. We can listen to you on the Game Theory podcast, and we can follow you on Twitter at Sam underscore Vicini. Thank you so much for taking the time today, man. This was a lot of fun. Of course, Chase. Anytime. All right. Thanks, Sam. And that'll do it for today's episode of the Chase Thomas podcast. I just want to remind you guys, if you like today's episode and you are subscribed on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, I would really appreciate if you could take a second, leave the show a five-star rating and a review. If uh, you're not an Apple Podcast listener, remember you can find the show on Spotify, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, uh, Google Play, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Uh, Be sure to check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com where you can access all of my previous episodes and also find all my writing. I'm writing there fairly often. And also follow me on Twitter at Chase Double underscore Thomas and like the Facebook page at Facebook.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. Uh, thank you for your support and we'll be back in another episode very soon. Thanks guys. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran. Marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.